Good morning. It's kind of become a little tradition in South City that we do this on Easter, and I love it if I'm being honest with you. Uh, we're going to do some baby dedications. This is a little family moment for us at South City. So if you're involved in that, if you guys would go ahead and come make, make your way this way, moms and dads and babies, go ahead and come up on stage with me. This is a beautiful moment for our church every time we get the opportunity to do this because what we're saying is this is not just some function of the church. This is not just some aspect of a service. We take this seriously in what we're asking these parents to do and what I'm going to ask you as partners of South City to do in just a minute. So I'm so excited. I think we're going to start with uh, Ella Ruth. Yeah, you guys want to come over this way? We'll just step up. I know I got a small stage. Sorry. Hi, Ella. How are you? Uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is her big sister, Lydia, who we love very much. Hi, baby doll. Paul and Emily Hanley, mom and dad. Hey, we're so excited to do this uh, for you guys. This is a joy and a privilege. Number one, because we love your family. And uh, we have watched your family grow since you've been with us tremendously. Uh, and uh, it's just what a, what a beautiful expression of the church that we get to walk with you. My, my daughters love these kids. They're playing with them nonstop. And uh, to say that we are intertwined in relationship, uh, not only with each other, but with our life in Christ together is an understatement. <laughs> and so it's in that spirit this morning that I want to ask you, you guys, and I want to... I Step back just for a moment. I want to introduce everybody at one time if I can. So over here is, uh, this is Adam and Lauren Lenz. And this is baby Ella Grace, Ellington Grace. Hi, sweet girl. So this is a wonderful, wonderful experience for for us to be able to share this with you. We've known you guys for several years, and you've partnered with us, and you're, I'm so excited that you're up here sharing this moment with us. And then this, these are the loopers. This is Jason and Dana and Charlie Looper. Hey, Charlie. <laughs> so this is what we want to ask you guys. Uh, Maynard? And tell me the wife's name. Karina. And the baby? Adri? Okay. We're glad you guys are up here. Scoot on up here. Um, this is what we want to ask you as parents, okay? I'm going to ask two questions. I'm going to ask them one, and I'm going to ask you one, South City. The first is this. Do you make a commitment today with your child and with the Lord that you're going to raise them in the way and the admonition of Christ? You're going to teach them how to be Christ followers, to love Jesus with more than their words, with their whole life. Do you make that commitment to do that today? Say, I will. I will. Amen. And then I got to ask you a question, South City. So they're here today saying they need help because we all need help in this role as parents, right? And that's part of the beauty of the family of the church, that we're not in this alone, that we actually get to walk this out together with one another. And so if you're a partner of South City Church, I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to love these children and these parents and these families in such a way that when you get a chance to serve in our kids' ministry or you get to be with the children at different events and different times in small groups and different areas where our, our lives rub off on each other and we're spending time together as the body of Christ, will you help raise them 
in the way of the Lord and the admonition of Christ and teaching them to be Christ followers. Will you do that, church? Amen. Amen. That'll work. Uh, we kind of had all kinds of answers, and that'll work. That's good. Amen. I want to pray for these children as we dedicate them to Jesus and these families. Before I do that, these parents have given, have we shown the slides yet? Go ahead and show them again. Let's, I want to show these, the parents. Uh, Ella Ruth, what's Ella's uh, life verse? Do we have that up there? Oh, okay. Can you tell us what it is? It's Ruth 116. Okay. All right. Well, we, tell us your life verse. Okay. Do you guys have one for? Isaiah 40:31. Okay. Do you guys have a life verse for the baby that you know of? We'll just claim John 3:16 over him. How about that? Hey, let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the privilege, Lord, of sharing life together as the body of Christ. God, this is a hard uh, thing to do, to be a parent. It's a hard thing to do to be a believer in this culture. And we need each other to be reminded of your grace and goodness. And we need each other to help us raise our children in a way that would honor you. So, Lord, as these parents make a covenant and commitment to raise their children in the way that they should go, we too make this covenant as a church and as their church family and say, Lord, help us to lead them to you, Jesus. That is our prayer and our hope. And we pray it in the name of Jesus for your glory alone. And God's people said, amen. amen. Bless you guys. We're going to grow this church one way or another, you know what I'm saying? One way or another. Well, I am so glad that you're with us this morning. Man, what a good-looking group. We're so glad to have you at South City Church. Uh, as you can tell, it's not our number one prerogative or priority to entertain or put on some sort of show. That's not our job, right? Uh, and so we believe that the church is more than just what we present to you. We believe the church is, is more than just a place that you come to. It's more than something that happens at that place. The church of Jesus is a people. That's you, right? That's you. And so I'm so excited to have us together today to celebrate the resurrected Jesus and the church of Jesus. So this morning you've seen some family events, right? We're baptisms, baby dedications. These are moments where we're sharing as family. And so if you don't have a church family, uh, we don't invite you to an event. We don't invite you to a building. We invite you to a family. If you need a family more than just a service, and we all do, come to a family and see what it means to be a family in the body of Christ together. So I'm excited this morning to, to uh, talk to you a little bit about the topic of, of worthiness. Have you ever felt worthy or unworthy, one or the other? You ever walked into a place and you just felt like, I don't feel that, well, I don't feel worthy to be here. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I belong. I, this, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm uh, dressed right or I know enough or I don't know, whatever the case may be. Have you ever felt unworthy? Or maybe you felt worthy. You felt, hey, I'm, I'm right. I'm doing all right. Some of y'all walked in here with new Easter duds, and you're like, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm worthy. And you look good. You look good. Worthiness is a feeling equal, feeling confident, feeling like, yeah, I belong here. This is, I, have a good, I have a right to be here, right? That's kind of a feeling of worthiness. 
I remember there was a time in college when I was, I think I was a sophomore, a freshman or sophomore in college, 18, 19 years old, I was very young, and I wanted to be a singer. And I was trying my best to try and learn how to sing and, and sing around churches and in the youth group in different places. And I heard about this audition at UALR. And it was an audition for Opryland. Everybody, does anybody remember Opryland? This is how old I am. So Opryland used to be a, uh, like a theme park. And they also owned another one down in San Antonio called Fiesta, Texas. And so if you made it through the auditions as a singer, you might get a job at Opryland singing for the summer, making money, you know, and, or down in San Antonio making money at one of these theme parks. I'm like, count me in. I'm, that sounds great. And so I went to try out. I went to UALR, and it was a full dance studio, a huge, huge room, like this big. And the, the walls were lined with people. I would say two or 300 people. It just seemed like a ton of people. Maybe there was 100. I don't know. But it seemed like a ton. And the audition was a piano in the middle of the room of everybody. And when it, your name was called, you walked up to the piano, and you sang your song. I remember standing back there on the wall, not feeling that confident, not feeling that, you know, belonging. <laughs> and that my name was called, and I walked up to the piano, and I sang a song. And when I finished, the crowd around, I mean, all the people trying erupted in applause. And I, it took, I was taken aback, like, really? Well, all of a sudden, I felt, hey, okay. I, I do belong here. Maybe this is something I should do. I, I felt confident. I felt good about myself. Maybe I do have a right to be here. And I went through hours of callbacks, callback, 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 until there was just a small group of people. <laughs> and at the end, I'll never forget, this is a, still a very vivid memory in my mind as an 18 or 19-year-old. I'm talking to the head guy, and he, he seems like the nicest guy, and he says, man, that song you sang, those guys are buddies of mine. I'm, wow, this guy knows everybody. And I thought I was the next big thing in Nashville, Tennessee. I just, I just knew it. And he says, I'm telling you, he says, I, I know those guys. This is going to be great. Let me get some headshots. So he's taking pictures, and I'm, you know, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I, I'm just feeling it. And then uh, all of a sudden, he says something that to this day, uh, keeps me awake in my nightmares. He says, hey, now the last thing we need you to do is go upstairs to the dance studio and see how that goes. <laughs> this is what I heard. Now we need to see you. And it was like everything was in slow motion. And I went like a German shepherd, like, what? He said, yeah, just head up to the dance studio and we'll see how that goes. I'm thinking, you've, you've got to be kidding me. I'm a singer. I came to sing. He was like, no big deal, man. Just go up there. So I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my God, I'm freaking out. So I walk up these steps, and there's about 20 or 30 people in this smaller room. And I'm not kidding, this is a true story. I get up there, and, and most of the men have on leg warmers and leotards. <laughs> I am wearing blue jeans, a t-shirt, and a mullet, <laughs> right? A and boots, cowboy boots, no, no, no kidding. And... Uh, Michael Jackson's Beat It is going on those speakers, like bumping, you know. And they're doing this routine, and they're, I mean, they're going for broke. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. The Baptist boy is, I don't know if I can. And I've gotten moves. Now, listen, but I didn't have any that day, I promise you. I, I felt unworthy. I, I thought, I don't belong here. This is not the place for me. I went literally in 10 minutes from feeling like I was on the moon, the next greatest thing in the whole world, to feeling like a complete moron. 
out of place, out of step, out of everything. I didn't belong in this place. And if I'm honest, the reality is most of uh, my life has felt unworthy. I didn't make it to, uh, to sing for, for Opryland or Fiesta Texas. They said something to do with my dancing. I have no idea what that was about. But, but most of the things in my life I felt more unworthy than I have felt worthy. I don't know about you. In June, in just about five or six weeks, my wife and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage. And it was 25 years ago that I stood right there on those steps. And I looked in the back of this room and I could see the doorway. And I could just see this angel under the light that God was giving me to be my bride. And if you know her, you know I'm telling the truth. And I stood there and I began to weep and I thought, I'm unworthy of this gift, God. Do we have a picture of that moment, guys? No picture? Okay, well, great. Nothing's working today. Perfect. <laughs> I had pictures with, you know, mullets, and it was, sorry you missed out on the mullet pictures. Um, there was a time, Lori and I, a few years ago, went over to Memphis, and uh, I love rock and roll history, music history, all this stuff. We went over there to Sun Studios. You know, this is the place, this is the birthplace of rock and roll, people. And we went to Sun Studios, and, and there was a microphone in the studio. And the, the guy tells us, this is the microphone that Elvis recorded on, and Johnny Cash, and B.B. King, right, and, and, and Jerry Lee Lewis. And I had a picture of me holding this microphone going, like, I felt unworthy to hold that microphone because of all the greats had sung on it, right? And as a singer, that was a big deal. Several years ago, I got the privilege somehow to sing at an event in Provo, Utah, I was invited by Senator Orrin Hatch. I had recorded a song. And I go to Provo, Utah to sing at this event called Stadium of Fire. And I didn't know much about it, but they just said, Drew, you're going to have a stage. It's going to be about this big. Well, that, I'm a little bigger than that. I don't know if you noticed. But my feet fit on it, and my, my body came out of the flags. There was 1,000 full-size American flags on the football field, 1,000 representing 1,000 lives that had been lost in the Iraqi war. And I was going to be in the middle on this little tiny wooden stage, and I was going to sing a song I recorded called Blades of Grass and Pure White Stone. And it was a very surreal, somber moment. And I remember standing there in between those flags, and Orrin Hatch and Sean Hannity and Colonel Oliver North introduced me to sing. And I sang in front of 100,000 people at Brigham Young University. And they didn't tell me that there was another 100,000 outside the stadium and 2 million watching on closed-circuit television in the Armed Forces Network. I had no idea. But whatever it was, I felt unworthy standing in those flags in that moment. This week, I had the privilege to sing over at St. Mark Baptist Church. And we've got some great friends over at St. Mark. And if you don't know anything about St. Mark, let me tell you, they know how to sing at St. Mark. I was not looking for more opportunities for a story about feeling unworthy this week. And yet I'm sitting in the audience listening to the singers about to sing myself. And I go, really, God? Like this week you're going to give me an example of unworthiness? I, I, I felt so unworthy to be there. Amazing singers, amazing music. And if I'm being really honest this morning, I couldn't feel more unworthy ever in my life than I do right now. And I do every single Sunday that I get to stand in front of you and preach the word of God. It is a gift and a privilege that I do not take lightly. And I'm completely unworthy to do it. 
So I ask that you'd pray for me as we speak today, that God would give me the words he would have me to say. I don't, I don't have any words worth saying other than his words. And so this morning we're going to talk about his words. Listen, there's a statement I like to say around here quite a bit. It says, if there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. You've heard me say that, right? If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. See, the good news is the first topic of worthiness we have to really look at is the fact that we're alive, right? We're alive, people. We're breathing. Our hearts are beating this morning. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man and woman in his image. In Latin, it's called the Imago Dei. We have unbelievable worth as human beings because we are breathing right in this moment. Do you feel that? Just as human beings alive with our hearts beating, we have unbelievable worth. If I told you this morning that I ran a race and there were 200 million people in the race, and if I'm, you know, I'll be honest, I won the race, would that be impressive to you? 200 million people? Here's the reality. You all won that race. It's called conception. <laughs> we all won. Woo! But it's not based on your ability. Your, your athletic ability is not based on that. It's based on God's provision, his providence, his sovereignty, right? See, the thing is, is you're not an accident. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. God had a plan for your life. Look with me in uh, Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven into the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when, I was yet, when as yet there was none of them. Before you were, like they say, a twinkle in your mom or daddy's eye, God had a plan for your life. This is not an accident. No matter how you got here, God had a plan. He wanted you. Doesn't that feel good to feel wanted? He wanted you. You have incredible worth because you've been created in the image of God Almighty. But at some point in our lives, life goes from just existence and survival on the rat wheel, right? And we go, okay, I get it, God, I'm here. You wanted me, but why? Why? What's the purpose? Why do you want me? What's the purpose of my life? Why do I exist? Why am I here? Why am I breathing air? You say, if I'm breathing air, there's a purpose for my life. Well, how will I know what it is? Here's the truth, friends. You can only know the purpose of your life if you know the one who's given you that life. That's it. You have incredible worth because you've been created in his image, and you can know your purpose if you know him. Come to know Jesus, and he'll show you the purpose of your life. At some point, you come to this place where you realize, listen, I want to know why I'm here, and, and you start to realize there's a greater story at play. God has written all of us into this amazing story. And hopefully you come to the place where you realize, you know, life is hard, <laughs> and this world is broken, and yeah, maybe God is real. Maybe God does have something for me. Maybe there's, there's something bigger that I don't see, I'm not paying attention to. And then God begins to show you in his grace, not only that he created you in his image, but that he loves you more than you'll ever know. 
that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And he said, you want to know how much you're loved? That's how much. You want to know how much you're worth? That's how much. Because we can't truly know our worth until we know what someone would pay for it. See, this word worth is connected to a word like value. How much is my car worth? When I go to sell it, I want to know, right? How much is my guitar worth? I got a few. How much is this or that worth? Well, God says this about your soul. Your soul is worth the life and death of his one and only son. That's why you have worth. Number one, because you were created in his image. And number two, because he died for you. The, the Christmas hymn writer wrote this song. He wasn't even a believer. <laughs> but he wrote this song, and we sing it every year. It's absolutely beautiful and theologically correct. Uh, oh, holy night. And the line in this song says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its what? Worth. We can't even know our soul's worth until we understand that God paid a price for it. This is the price that he's paid for your soul. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says, Christ has bought us with a price. Look here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Think about that. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. There is a worth to your soul. If you're not a Christian today, you have unbelievable worth because you've been created in his image. But if you are a believer, then you know that you've been bought with a price. To have a relationship with Jesus, we have to completely surrender. But unfortunately, what a lot of us do is we say, yeah, Lord, I, I want to know you. And I, yeah, I think I remember praying a prayer at some camp, and that'll do. Or yeah, I'll show up this day, and that'll, that'll be okay. That'll be enough. But that's not how discipleship works. Jesus kind of ramps up the seriousness of discipleship. And we need to know that in order to be a Christ follower, it's all or nothing. For Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, it's all or nothing. He can't be Lord of our lives if we've just made him, we think, Lord of a few things. That's not how it works. It's all or nothing. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20 love this verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, you see me, but it's not me. I don't matter anymore. My dreams, my plans, my ideas, my money, my everything is not mine anymore. It's Christ. I have personally been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to myself. When I'm baptized, I'm saying, Lord, I want to be dead to myself, and I want to be raised to newness in life. I want the life that I live to be the life of Jesus through me. That's what I want. It's all or nothing. And Jesus begins to ramp up his rhetoric with his own disciples. He uses phrases like, count the cost. Count the cost. Uh, it's in Luke 9 where Jesus has fed a multitude of people. And just an, an amazing miracle of feeding thousands of people, and the, and the crowds go away. And he's sitting around with the disciples, and he says, hey, guys, who do they say I am? 
And they say, well, they say, some say it's your Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're a prophet of old. And Jesus says, okay, that's, well, they came and got the meal, and that's, that's good, and they went away. But guys, I'm closest to you. Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up, right? And Peter says the way he just does with this charismatic personality, hey, you're the Christ of God. In other words, you're the Messiah who's come to save the world. That's who you are. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. You've got to realize the disciples' life with Christ for a year or two has been pretty awesome. I mean, if we're being honest, it's been pretty awesome. The disciples have traveled around with Jesus. They've seen him feed the multitudes. They've seen him heal people and raise people from the dead. And they kind of get to be on the tour bus, so to speak. Oh, we're going over to Caesarea next. You know, it's like, I'm with Jesus, right? But Jesus ramps up the value of discipleship. And he begins to say, yeah, yeah, you're with me, but let me tell you what's about to happen. We're going to go into Jerusalem, or I'm going to go into Jerusalem. He says, and I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised on the third day, and what they do to me, they're going to want to do to you. Who's with me? Right? And everybody's kind of like, uh, when's the next big feeding thing? Because that's, that's what I, when's the next miracle I don't know that I signed up for rejection. I'm not sure I ever signed up for, for death, God. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, no. Discipleship, this is what discipleship is about. In fact, I need to be Lord over everything in your life. He says, if there's a relationship that's greater than my relationship with you, you're not worthy of me. I, I just baptized my youngest daughter. I would die for my girls without even a thought. I love them with everything within me. But Jesus says, if my relationship with them is greater than my relationship with him, then I'm, worth, I'm unworthy of him. Look what he says here. Matthew 10, verse 37, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you lost your life for Christ's sake, or you just kind of been hanging on to it? I don't know about you, but my family, we like to go to Sam's when they're giving the free stuff away. You know what I mean? They got all the old ladies on every corner with the frying something up. And I, I don't, not that I eat it all, but I like to watch my girls. They think this is the greatest thing in the world. And they're running from this one to that. It could be sushi or something that they wouldn't like. And they're like, I'll take one. Right? There's something about it being free, honestly, right? What happens, though, is the lady goes, um, would you like to buy that case of frozen salmon? And we all go, mm, no. See, here's the thing. Commitment goes up with value. See, when it's free, just give me the free corn dog. Yeah, great. Thanks. Do you want to buy the case of corn dogs? I'm not sure I'm willing to commit to that. It's the same thing with Jesus. Is he worth it? Is he worth the commitment that Jesus is asking? Is he worth it? This is what he says in Luke 9, 23. He says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does, a, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his life? 
Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, it means that you deny yourself. It's not about you. It's about me. This is not Drew's story. It's Jesus' story. Are you getting that? It's not about you. It's not about your wants. It's not about your plans. It's about my plan. You coming with me to Jerusalem? He says you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your death daily and follow me. This is not something we can just do on a Sunday and knock it off the list. Went to church. That's not what he's talking about. Went to Easter. Got the selfie. No. He's saying, is your life lived in such a way that he is the Lord of your life? That you live in such a way that you know you've been bought with a price, the price of his blood. I, I love uh, Francis Chan is one of my favorite authors and speakers. I heard him this week. He was sharing a story. He was trying to help people understand this phrase that what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul, right? We've heard that. We've heard that phrase before. And he really helped break it down when he kind of gave an example. He said, just imagine that you are the richest man in the whole world. I think that's Jeff Bezos right now with Amazon. I don't know. But imagine that you have all the money in the world. You, you could do anything your heart's desire. Anywhere you want to go, anything you want to purchase, anything you want to do, there's no limit. You don't live for Christ. You're living for yourself, and you're going to do whatever you want to do, right? He said, and imagine if you were able to do it for, say, 60 years. You become the richest man at 40, and you live till 100 with perfect health, and you die the day you turn 100. He said, can you imagine the first 30 seconds of hell for that man? I mean, he had everything. He had all the money in the world. He had, he had cars and women and power and everything you can think of. And yet, can you imagine the first 30 seconds in hell? First minute, the first five minutes, because the Bible describes hell as a lake of fire, as a place of complete torment, complete darkness, and the worst, complete separation from a loving and almighty God. He says, can you imagine the first minute or the first hour? Maybe he's still thinking, yeah, it was worth it. All the money and all the fun, yeah, it was still kind of worth it. But can you imagine after the first six months or the first year or the first 50 years or the first 100 years? Because heaven and hell are not a short time period. They are for eternity. And it helps us understand what Jesus was saying. Why would you try and gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul's eternity? Why would you do such a thing? Why would you think that what you want and what's important to you is so important that you would give up your entire eternity and potentially go to hell not knowing Christ? My question is, was it worth it? Do you think he thought it was worth it? See, life in Jesus costs us everything, but it gives us more than you can ever imagine. And we can't know it unless we lose it. And we trust him with it. Our identity, our worth, our value, they're all found in Jesus. And the work that he's done alone on the cross. They're not found in us. It's not found in the little things that we do. I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's not about what we do and what we haven't done. It's simply about what Jesus has done. And that's it. You know, we have worth as human beings because he's created us in his image. We have worth because he saved our souls and we've been bought with a price. But we only have worth because he's the one that's worthy. 
I thought about this. I, the guy skipped me, by the way, in the offering plate. Uh, so I got to catch up. But I, I brought my check today to put in the offering plate. If I wrote a million dollars on that check, it would only be worth it if there was a million dollars in the what? In the bank. It's just a piece of paper. It means nothing. Our worthiness, even as Christ followers, is only reflected in his true worth. We have no worth apart from him, right? He's the only one worthy. I want to take you over to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to look at this in just a minute. Apostle John is given this unbelievable, unbelievable vision in Revelation 5. John has this privilege of seeing into the future in this vision. And not just into the future, but into the future in heaven, in the throne room of God. Can you imagine? He's seeing the throne room of God. And all the things that are happening in the throne room of God. He sees God on the throne. And he says, in God's right hand, God holds a scroll. And that scroll is, is what is considered the scroll of judgment. And there's seven seals on that scroll. Seven is a number for completion. In other words, when these seven seals on this scroll are opened, it's over, right? And judgment will come. What does that mean? It means that God will repay wickedness. He will, he will make everything right that has been wicked. He will make right. And everything that has been uh, faithful will be rewarded. This is the end scroll. This is, this is a big one. John says he's watching, he's looking, he sees angels and elders and living creatures. And he hears one of the elders call out, but who can open the scroll and break the seal? Who can do it? And the Bible says that they look over heaven and they don't find anyone. And they look on the earth and they don't find anyone. Look below the earth and they can't find anyone. And John says he begins to weep and weep. And in the Greek it means he just, he can't stop. He's just Weeping and weeping is because he wants to know what happens. He wants to know that the wrong that has happened, the friends that have been martyred, and the injustice that's been in the world is going to be repaid. God's going to come with justice. What's happening, God? Why is there no one that can open the seal? And as he's weeping, an elder says, shh, someone has been found. Look with me in Revelation 5.5. He says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. A couple of things I want to explain to you here. John, the, the elder says this is the lion of Judah, but John doesn't see a lion. That's what's interesting. He sees a lamb. He doesn't see a lion. See, the line of Judah is reference to the fact that Judah was the tribe where royalty came through. Kings would come through the tribe of Judah. And Jesus was the tribe of Judah, and he was the greatest king. He prophesied in Isaiah 11, right, that he would come through the line of David and Jesse. But he didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb, and that lamb was a slaughtered lamb, a slain lamb, that even in the future in heaven, the image and the memory of Christ crucified is still at the forefront. In fact, the text says he's in the very center of it all. It says Jesus walks over. Let's read it. Revelation 5, 
7 through 14, it says, and he went back, he went and he took the scroll, this is Jesus, took the scroll from the right hand of him, God, who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers, our prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on, earth and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to God and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Friends, there's only one who's worthy. We do have worth. He's created his image, every person on the planet, and there's an unbelievable beauty and a plan for each one. For some of us who've trusted Jesus to be our Savior, he's bought us with a price. And we have great worth because of the price that he paid with his son's blood. But even in that, our, our worthiness is only a reflection of the one and only who is worthy, and his name is Jesus. So this is my question for you this morning, we're going to close. Do you live your life in such a way that you acknowledge the only one who's worthy? When I read that, when I hear that heaven, the heavenly hosts, the elders and the living creatures, they all bow on their faces before God. And then sometimes I think about my life or how I, I kind of live it on my own. Sometimes I do my own thing. Sometimes I spend my money the way I want to or I make decisions that might not honor God that much. I'm acting like I'm the one who's worthy and not Jesus. When the Bible is clear about the fact that he is the only one. They searched and searched to find one worthy and they found no one but Jesus. Can I ask you this morning, are you living your life like you're God? Like it's your throne? Like people should bow to you? Like your plans, your finances, your ideas, and your dreams are all important? Instead of saying, Lord, I've been bought with a price I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. My life is yours. Live through me and give me the abundant life that you speak of in John 10, 10. But instead we say, God, you're not worthy. I am. And we can gain the whole world and yet lose our souls. Friends, when we read this passage, we ought to, we ought to weep. When we read this passage, we ought to feel the weight of the sin in our lives that nailed Jesus to a cross. When we read this passage, we ought to sense just complete great gratitude and gratefulness and thanksgiving before a holy God who would give his only baby boy for you and for me. And we need to say, God, may I bring everything that I have and everything that I am before your worth. This morning our team is going to come and they're going to sing a song. And as they come, 
and they sing this song. I'm, I just want to ask you to do something. I want you just to pray, God, have I been treating you like you're the only one worthy or have I been treating me like I'm worthy? Would you ask your soul that? Would you ask your heart that as they sing this song? Take it into your spirit and say, Lord, would you please help me to truly understand the only one who is worthy? Pray with me. Father, Lord, we just submit to you. We bow before you, God. We're reminded that Paul said one day, whether we acknowledge and live for Christ or not, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord, that you are the only one worthy. One day we'll all be in that position, worshiping you. And it's in your grace, God, that you give us an opportunity to bow our knees today, to bow our lives today before your worth and not try and exalt ourselves, Lord. God, may we humble ourselves before you right now, Jesus. The only one worthy, the one with all the power, the one with all the majesty, the one with all the glory and might and wealth and honor and wisdom. With everything, God, you are everything to be worshiped, Lord. God, and will you please convict our soul and our hearts of anything that we've brought before you that doesn't belong? We are not worthy, God, apart from you, apart from the gift of salvation in Jesus. And we worship you today for that gift in your precious name.